This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, I'm Amber. And I'm Jessie. And this is Glowing in Tech. Powered by Coding Black Females. Amazing. Okay, so now we're going to be doing our tech topic in 10, where Zoe is going to introduce and explain a technical topic in under 10 minutes. Think of it as a lightning talk, uh, which is an opportunity for Zoe to demystify a topic or an area that's often intimidating for newbies or people that are not experts in the field. So Zoe, what's your tech topic in 10 today? Yeah, so I'm going to be talking about demystifying data engineering. Um, and so I'll just I'll just get into fantastic. It. <laughs> Take it away. Um, so I think it's really understandable that people are worried about sharing their personal data and generally scared of things data related at this point. But specifically with um, you know Netflix shows coming out and um, different things, the the great hack. Yeah. I think it's fair to say that companies have lost our trust in this respect, which is of course what will happen if you sign up for a free social media, you know, on the guise of wanting to catch up with old friends and stay connected and then you realize that your likes and dislikes have been commercialized and sold to advertising companies ultimately your data has been used to target adverts to persuade you to buy something and now the free social network doesn't seem so free anymore Mm. however this mistrust has led to fear-mongering about big data and the algorithms and I think we've kind of forgotten that data engineering can and, and should be used for good organizations being able to unlock the power of their data enables them to do their jobs better and essentially make data-driven decisions which in some cases you know can save lives take for example a vaccine distribution center they're in charge of distributing incoming vaccines to vaccination sites across the country so managing their supply chain of you know i need this x number of vaccines of pfizer and i have 20 sites across the company that i need to send these vaccines to and distribute it's not going to be an equal number because the sites will have different populations associated maybe different age demographics there's all this data that needs to go into this decision and so there are two key elements when you think of unlocking the power of your data. Uh, The first is being able to use all the data that's available to you to then make your decision. So when you're deciding how many vaccines should go to a certain site um, or where where to distribute them to, you you wanna take into account people eligible for the vaccine or also estimations for walk-ins. So you have a full understanding, like you can see the full picture. So being able to make a decision where you actually have all of the information you need to make that decision. And the second is when you then make that decision, okay, we need to send 100,000 vaccines to this site. Like that shouldn't be the end of it. The outcome of that decision should then be fed back into the solution to help you make a better decision tomorrow. A continuous loop of this better decision making on data. And what I've learned in my career is that we shouldn't solely rely on AI decision making. And I don't think that that's necessarily the way forward. I think humans making AI assisted data driven decisions is the way forward. So as I talked about this feedback loop, 
we can then make better decisions and then have a algorithm that helps you decide okay last time you gave a hundred thousand but x amount was wasted so therefore you should reduce it by this amount or now that we're on to the new age dem- demographic we actually think there's going to be an influx and so the ai algorithm can help you make suggestions mm. but ultimately it's that human that's going to make the decision and it's really important to keep a human in the loop for accountability when it comes to ai there's very complicated ethics around who's responsible and i know that's a whole other conversation um but keeping a human in the loop a human expert but giving them data and the power of algorithms to help them make their do their job better is actually where i see like the the biggest benefit and so Solving the world's biggest problems is going to require a data-driven approach. And we need the best minds working on this, on these problems. And it would be a shame to see people uh, put off uh, from working with data because there's a fear that it's inherently wrong. And it's undeniable that there are nuances about this, this topic, um, particularly the, the shows that I mentioned, like they, they highlight that. But that's why it's important to work with data ethics professionals um, as they put the privacy of individuals first and ensure that any data use is uh, appropriate and proportionate. And while on the topic of careers, I've I've mentioned a few sort of data engineers and also like uh, people in data data ethics. I think there's also a misconception that you're either a software engineer or potentially a project manager or this notion that you're either technical or you're not. There are a wealth of opportunities within the tech industry. You can be a data engineer, product engineer, solutions engineer, cloud engineer, security engineer, (laughs) business analyst. Like the list really does go on. Um, And I do believe there is something for everyone and everyone should be, um, you know, have a seat at this table and everyone should find like an opportunity within tech if they want to. So that is my lightning talk. That's amazing. (laughs) I have a few questions on this. The first of which is how do you think as engineers or the people building technology how can we um kind of allow others to have more trust in what we're doing yeah so the big one there is transparency so i think it's being transparent about what you're going to use the data for um making sure that you're yourself know that it is appropriate and proportionate you're not you're not like asking for too much or using it in a way that wasn't you know how someone like signed up for it so if you sign up for a certain app and then it's then transferred to a third party just because you put it in some small text like i think that that's also wrong it should be you're signing up to this service and we will use this service with your data to help you with this um and so sorry i don't know what the end of your question was. no that that was it that was it's like as an as an engineer i'm i'm building software that takes people's data in and does something with it and presents it back to them but how can i ensure that yeah i guess that i'm i'm doing the right thing by them and and allowing them to have trust because like you said there is this mad wave of mistrust at the moment um and do we have a role in it as engineers to to facilitate the kind of mending of that relationship yeah exactly so yeah the first thing was transparency and the second thing is just ensuring that you do have a team that is dedicated to data ethics and privacy Mm -hmm. and having them align on what you're actually doing Mm -hmm. eventually you know legislation will help with this but 
data legislation, I think, is far behind where the industry Absolutely. is at the moment. And so you have to kind of be better than what the law regulates. Like that is the bare minimum of what you can do with data. You need to build your morals and ethics and how you use data on top of that. It needs to be additive. It needs to be more. Um, and ensuring that, yeah, that you're, yeah, there's all sorts of uh, security that, that you need to have around it as well, depending on what your, what data you have. But definitely appropriate usage and also proportionate that you're using it for what you set out mm. to um mm-hmm. so yeah transparency and internal ethics boards where you're all on the same line you can't have one engineer's ethics or standard being here and another one's being there like you need to have a unified front on what you will and will not do so i have a question for both of you back in six when we had a whole presentation on like what snapchat is doing with our data what facebook is doing with our data because at the end of the day they have these huge terms and conditions with what they're actually doing which we don't read yeah and so what, designed that way yeah literally well. <laughs> and it's just like i'm realistically not going to read all these things right and what made me really scared about what companies are doing with my data was when i watched the great hack yeah because i'm um, learning about like cambridge analytica and the fact that they were essentially using our data against us and like to kind of manipulate the way that yeah. we vote was quite worrying yeah. like it was just like so what kind of data points do you have on me i didn't even understand that data was worth this much so when yeah. i've seen these pop-ups like allow all cookies reject all cookies i'm just like girl like, <laughs> what are we doing like so it's like i'm rejecting these cookies but at the end of the day am i realistically going to make such an effort for these companies to like not collect my data points mm-hmm. i think that a lot of people are scared of what they're doing with their data but they can't be bothered to actually like do something about it if that makes sense yeah and in some cases i i sometimes feel like the damage is already done like i've had you know certain social media accounts since i was 11 so it's like years and years of data of me you know growing up and my likes and dislikes changing um and they have all of that recorded um and that's definitely think something we should be cautious of and you know talking about you know what you said about cambridge analytica and all the things there definitely should be illegal um and so again going back to the fact that legislation is is always behind but i think separating that experience that you have with a social network for example with you know for healthcare services so i've worked very closely with sort of like a cancer research uh, center in the u.s and like, you know, they're doing really, really powerful things with data to ultimately find a cure for cancer and collaborate, um, you know, across like healthcare institutions on with that data to then help help solve solve this problem. Um, and so, you know, the, and even cl- climate change and things like that, like that is all mm-hmm. going to require a data driven approach. But we need to separate that from like the commoditization of data and mm. how those things can look fairly similar when when spoken about like data, algorithms, AI, but mm. actually they're really different. And it is it's a nuanced subject. It's it is difficult, but I think not to be scared of all and actually just okay, let's investigate this being the first response. Yeah. Because even on the topic of climate change, there are people who are targeting those who don't believe that it's real. And it said that actually using our data spread misinformation. Yeah. There's people actually who think the, the earth is flat. <laughs> I thought it was a joke. Yeah. I thought yes. it was a joke. That's, like, a, that's a real community. There's a, it's a real thing. And they're saying things like, even when you Google something, 
my search results can be very different to oh, they are, yeah. someone who actually thinks the world is flat. Mm. So if I Google, like, the, is, the world, is the world flat? It will probably come up with all the reasons why it isn't. But if someone who's in that space Googles it, it will come up with all the, thing, all the reasons why it actually yeah. is. That's yeah. terrifying. Yeah, it's, it's pretty scary. So is your question about, like, how the individual can be empowered to kind of... Because <laughs> it was my question. No, like, what was your it, question? It was, it was more like they're just using our. It's just like um, just a added point. The fact that they're using our data, like, yeah, to spread inf- misinformation. Yeah, and it's just like that's why like there's these extremes on both sides. Yeah, and it's just so it's quite it's quite challenging to know what is actually the truth. Because yeah. what if I'm laughing at people who think the Earth is flat, and then <laughs> I'm in space and I actually see the Earth is flat. Like, <laughs> how do I know I'm on the right side of information? Like that's what yeah. I want because I don't, we don't know. We're kind of just it's kind of like a good guess that we're on the right side, but we actually don't know. Yeah, I think it's a lot to do with how much the individual because it, it's very easy to be overwhelmed by all the information we have access to, yeah. and assume that all the people that we have access to on our social networks are also the closest to the truth. So I think it's really difficult we're at a point where we need to make sure that people feel empowered enough to to understand that what you just said that they're often being presented with information that aligns with their views and their values and you know we hear a lot about the echo chamber on on in terms of politics and all of the controversial topics we have online it's time for tech tea (laughs) (laughs) so zoe is going to share her controversial take on something within the industry which is misconceptions of meritocracy Mm. amazing so first uh, of all what's meritocracy essentially meritocracy is this idea that you are valued on a certain trait for example if you take like a pianist um they are judged based on their like skills in in that field and it's essentially like you are valued on how good you are at this thing and only that thing so essentially it's like how can you like value someone based on something they do or a a skill Mm -hmm. um and in this case it would be you know within the tech industry either a technical skill or just generally how people use it awesome thank you cool uh so i don't have a problem with the idea of meritocracy itself uh the example i just gave about like a a pianist like i think that is a a genuine way that you can measure uh, meritocracy but i think i have a problem with how it's sometimes used within the tech industry um and the book just going to plug invisible women by caroline perez explains this far better than i'm going to um but my 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 take is that Sometimes a tech company will say, at our company, we believe in meritocracy. We just hire the best people for the job. And this isn't to say that I don't think that each company has a technical bar that they hire for, but that this phrase is used to just essentially absolve a company of any responsibility for their hiring process or their recruitment strategy. So let's break down, we just hire the best people for the job. I think what they really mean is that they will hire the best people they can find or the best people that from who have applied. Mm. If your applicant pool is only students from the top 10 universities, you've already self-selected what you think indicates the best candidate, not who is in fact the best candidate. And if you were truly looking for the best candidate, their background or location wouldn't be a factor. And you would scour the earth for them to try and find the the team uh, for your company. But of course, that would be too expensive. So that's not what companies do. All this to say that the more... Sorry. (laughs) 
All this to say that the more expansive your outreach and diversity of applications are, the more meritocratic you truly are. Secondly, the definition of best people changes depending on the company. And most companies hire for technical skill level, yes, but also this idea of a culture fit and general alignment to their mission, uh, which is just as important. And that isn't something quantifiable. This is usually actually determined by the set of people who interview you, and it's extremely subjective. So this even further breaks down this idea of meritocracy. Lastly, I think the context in which we talk about meritocracy in tech is usually what I take issue with. It's used as an excuse for a lack of diversity within a company, mm. which just isn't good enough. Your company will only ever be as diverse as where you recruit from and your subsequent applicant pool, which is something you have oversight of. So if you want to do something about it, you could. Just replying, we're a company that believe in meritocracy, we just hire the best people, is not justifiable. Oh my I God. completely agree. It's so good. It's such, it's, such <laughs> a good, it's such a good take because even um, when I was applying for roles, they would say stuff like, you want only Russell Group students. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that takes away those who haven't been to Rus Russell Group University, for example. And it's so interesting to see, like, just to even see what your, how people value you. Because I remember working for a company and it's someone that someone applied for a role. She had a terrible CV. So that time manager, he was like, yeah, but she worked at Facebook, so she must be good. Oh. So we're going to interview her cause, just because she like landed as well at Facebook. And guess what? The interview wasn't good. Like, yeah. The interview wasn't good. He wasn't impressed by her. But it was just like, you can have a name on your CV, which is like, well, well, we know what that really means, which yeah. is that it's competitive, that the interview process is pretty hard. So that person must be good just because they got a role at this company, for example. Yeah. And and that's that's another example of like meritocracy is often, the, the concept of meritocracy is often used as like an excuse for a narrow perception of what makes someone good like a biased perception of what yeah. makes someone good and like that's a problem I have with the with the interview process with a lot of tech companies and having the really uh long and lots of stages with really difficult technical tests that you have to do under pressure like you're asking someone to perform well on your very strict definition of what you think good is and you're calling that meritocracy um yeah so I, I agree it's like a it's a really easy way to say and this is the reason why we're not diverse. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all about where you recruit from and where you go. Like, it's, you know, if, if you say, you know, we only want to go to Oxbridge and Russell groups, fine. But what is the, like, diversity of the places that you're recruiting from? And also, you are going to eliminate some of the best candidates. You mm. just are. Um, and it's that self-selection of, you know, we're only going to look here that, that I take issue with. Because if you're going to do that, then, you know, that's your call. I don't agree with it. But you're not, like, that's not true meritocracy you're not yeah. saying that we will hire the best people out of everyone it's we will hire the best people out of this already niche yeah. group the things even you know going to St Andrews the steps that that I went through in my life even moving being one of the steps that then led me to go to St Andrews like that is 
a very like n- like small set of people to go and self-select mm. for um and there are so many amazing people across the world like you know th- your best candidate might not even be in the uk um so just trying to expand your horizons and that being your recruitment strategy like, i think that's what i've seen as true like meritocratic um process and that's how you get the best people um but it's expensive and it takes a long time and that's why most companies use shortcuts um yeah. but you're but you're not a meritocracy if you if you do that is, is my point so what would your advice be to a company that has a limited amount of time but wants to broaden their horizons and, and hire from a more diverse pool and try and take that consideration what would what would be your like quick win yes. is there a quick win <laughs> <laughs> um no it takes a, a lot of time and effort but since the pandemic a lot of like virtual audiences have started to pop up mm. so trying to get a an online community that is is more diverse and looking at different not just universities but schools and also people in industry um you know May, maybe they they did an apprenticeship or had a different way of getting into the tech industry or people retraining maybe you have a couple of years of experience in just business and now you want to go into tech like maybe that person's going to be the best person and it's also about potential like I think what is missing is this bet hire which is something we, we talk about um at my company it's actually this person doesn't quite have all the skills we're looking for yet but I think they're going to do so well here. And I think oh, with the right training and mentorship, they would do so well. And like, those are also the people that will be an absolute asset to the company. So I've kind of gone around about here, but virtual audiences um, and trying to engage people like online is a cheaper way of doing your recruitment, but also looking at those bet hires. It's the people who with the right support can excel and it it takes a good like recruiter or interviewer to spot that but that's the real like meritocracy i completely agree i was reading a book called lean in when she actually speaks about this This it's a great book and um, she was actually speaking about how men are more likely to be promoted based on their potential um rather than women who have Mm. to say i've done this this and this i'm already doing the job Mm. now give me the title and uh, it's quite interesting that it's like um we almost, because we're kept being fed that this is a fair world, and when injustice happens, we're just like, oh, but it's like, a, this is injustice. It's like, <laughs> it's like we're constantly being gaslighted. Yeah. Because it's like we're saying that injustice is a thing, and you're telling me that it's not, but it's like, I have proven my worth now, and like to get this promotion, but someone could just have the potential and they've got that promotion over me. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. So it's interesting how bias like also plays a part in this whole meritocracy kind of concept as well yeah i wanted to i realized that I, after the tech topic i wanted to ask um if you had any resources or recommendations for me if i'm or for our audience if anybody wants to find out more about data engineering or wants to feel more empowered about how they're giving away their data or learn more about it do you have any resources that you could recommend yeah i'll, I'll definitely share some and then you can share it with the, the pod, podcast yeah. links um i think that I, it's better to just give a description there but i would definitely advise like looking into it and getting more like well like well versed about this mm-hmm. especially because your data like is being used and misused so it's about you know where do you lean in and say this is something i actually support or this isn't something that i support so yeah i will share some some resources fantastic amazing so how do you make sure that you're minimizing bias in your interview process yeah so i think 
we do this in a number of ways. You never have just a single interview, right? You usually have a, a succession of, of interviews. And then you have uh, what's called sort of a, a round table where you all discuss the candidate afterwards. Um, and if, you know, one person says, you know, I don't think we should move forward, but the other two do, then generally the person does still um, move forward. So that eliminates one, maybe you had like one off interview or you were nervous, it kind of uh, eliminates that. Or just generally if, if your personality is quite different or your way of approaching the problem was really different to the interviewer that's how we can eliminate bias um, but also I think sometimes even the length of time of the interview helps mm. to alleviate bias I think in the first few minutes you may have an impression of the candidate and I'll keep it as impression because you definitely haven't made a decision and at that point mm. but you have an impression of how you think the rest is going to go but throughout the like hour that you have together you then start to get a concrete opinion and then ultimately afterwards you make a decision but it's not something where the interview ends and I'm like we have to hire or we don't we shouldn't hire or like that's that would be my recommendation but again it's not just just on me it, it's a, the process over time where you're like, okay, this is my opinion, this is my thesis, and then you compare it with others, and then together you kind of have this united, okay, this is what we're going to do. And generally there's a stage after my stage as well, and that's the person who really gets to decide. So difference in opinion by having multiple interviewers and also the time. Like you, if, even if you start maybe a bit nervous or you're unsure in the beginning like you still have a lot of time with that that interviewer and you can swing an interviewer at any point sometimes it's just something you said at the end where they're like hmm there's something about this candidate like I'm oh, you know I'm thinking cool. I'm thinking maybe we should should give them a chance or at least you know move them on to the next stage so yeah I think sometimes you can get caught up if you're having a series mm -hmm. of interviews and you're like oh that first one didn't go that well mm every interview is a new interview and if the other interviewers are like love that candidate then you're, you're still going to be moved forward even if the first is like i didn't really get the signal i'm not sure how well they did you still have a chance and uh, as i said even up to the last five minutes they haven't made their decision yet and what about for me as an individual if hypothetically i'm interviewing somewhere and i have a kind of chip on my shoulder that i i don't have a cs degree um i'm not necessarily from the best educated background I know that I have a non-traditional route into tech. Like, what can I do to feel empowered in a situation where bias might be at play in these interviews? Yeah, so I'd say generally if you've, you know, got to that stage, like no one's really focusing that much on your like background at that point. It's mm -hmm. how you perform in the interview. So again, that idea that each interview is a fresh interview, it's a fresh chance for you to showcase yourself. Just remembering that and knowing this is a new person. They've like glanced at your CV, but they don't know you yet. So like you can then really like get them uh, to, to get to know you. Another thing is just being prepared. So preparing the like technical side. So using HackerRank, LeetCode to do the technical prep know stuff about the company like think about what your day-to-day -day could look like there and like what why would you want to work there um and just the general questions about your projects and where you name a time you failed and like general things like that like going in it prepared is it's very important because if you come across as confident that is so much of the of the interview honestly um and just clear as clear and concise with your answers and your solution is also really important if you could be a great candidate but if you're unable to get your ideas or articulate your ideas to the, uh, the interviewer then they're just not going to know them right mm. um and it is tough it is tough especially virtual interviews i find harder to connect with the in, like in the, the candidate but really just trying to 
yeah eliminate that awkwardness or like going over that that thing but yeah again this is hopefully something across the time of the interview it can come out amazing amazing do you have any questions no do you have any questions no that's it from me cool, cool. Do you want, <laughs> is there anything that you wanted to add or we can like um yeah is there anything that you'd want to touch on or no uh, other than just thank you so much for having me and uh, really excited to talk about these topics um if anyone wants to continue the conversation or connect with me um i please provide my linkedin yeah and definitely can c- connect on there um i have a few like mentees as well so if you're getting into tech or transitioning into tech definitely shoot me a question and i'll, I'll definitely get back to you oh. she's gonna have like hundreds of i know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> like imagine having zoe, someone like zoe at the beginning of your career that's uh that's a like, very valuable resource so <laughs> yeah thank you so much for joining us on glowing in tech we really loved hearing like more about you and your insights into various different topics as well i'm also very excited to see where you go if this is what you've done in just a few years like imagine her in 10 she's gonna be yeah i'm very excited <laughs> i think zoe's gonna be retired like on a farm like living her best life at this point it's just like the hustle culture is done after five years yeah. <laughs> thank you thank you Thanks so no, so again much. thank you so much cool Thank you so much for watching part two of Zoe's episode and tune in next week when we'll be meeting Charlene Hunter, who is the CEO of Coding Like Females. The journey started, it was like discovering this computer and then having two fantastic people who enabled me and encouraged me to grow even further as I was going through that journey. And then um, me deciding that I did not want to be in tech because it was a dying industry. (laughs) 